My name is Joe Egnell. I was here three weeks ago. I am one of your missionaries. If you don't know who I am, um, come talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you. This coming Thursday is Thanksgiving. You might have known that if you were aware of the calendar or if you just listened to the songs that we sang this morning. And in listening to those songs, I really don't need a preach a message. I think those songs, all four of them, go along exactly with what I'm going to say. So if you sang those songs and paid attention to what those words said, then we can be dismissed right here, right now, and go eat some donuts. Gunner doesn't think that's a good idea. But this coming Thursday is... Thanksgiving. It's a whole day dedicated to eating turkey. I mean, wait. It's a whole day to remember to be thankful. Three weeks ago, I shared about memorials and remembering what God has done and how God is faithful. And Thanksgiving, it should be a memorial in our life. It should be the same thing. It should remind us to give thanks to God, just like what we sing in those songs, all four of them. But do you, do you think, honestly, that Thanksgiving is really a memorial to remind us to be thankful? In our American culture, is Thanksgiving a day to be thankful, or is it Turkey Day? How did we get from Thanksgiving to Turkey Day? How are we being thankful for stuffing ourselves with so much food we can't even walk? Now, I can come up here and I can talk about this because I stuffed myself with so much turkey last night that it's behind me in the past, so I can ask God to forgive me for that. I don't have to think about that for this coming Thursday. But how do we get from Thanksgiving to Turkey Day to Gobble Day, Gobble Till You Wobble? I want to look at one message, or one verse this morning. Um, So my message should be short. It's only one verse, right? And it's a short verse. And the whole congregation gave thanks for a short sermon. Good. Some some are awake. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says, In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice the very first two words in that verse. In everything. Hmm. Our U.S. culture has taught us to be thankful when we have everything. So think of that big turkey dinner. To the point of being being gluttons even. Um, I'm not excluding myself from that. I just confessed what I did last night. And it's considered good and acceptable. Our U.S. culture says, yeah, that's something to celebrate. That's something to, to, to proclaim and to say, yeah, this is, this is good to go and eat this much food and call it Turkey Day. If we're honest with ourselves, though, I'm sure we'll admit that we don't give thanks in everything. We know what the Bible says. 
We just read it, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. But do we do what the Bible says? So if we do what the Bible says, then again, we could stop the message right here and we could go eat donuts. But I want to give you a couple more things to think about, maybe why we should do or how we get to that point of doing what the Bible says. So I'm going to share a couple things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for Pastor Gunner. Gunner, Gunner's <laughs> nervous over there. But in all truth, I've known Gunner for 20 plus years, and we come back after four years, and they invite us into their home, they feed us, and we can pick up with great conversation like we haven't been gone at all. So I'm thankful for Pastor Gunner. I'm thankful for his family and the relationship that we have. I'm thankful for Grace Point Church, for the love that you guys show us, for praying for us, for the financial support that you guys participate in our ministry. I'm thankful for Gunner's work ethic. <laughs> He's always working hard. He came to visit us in 2016 in Kenya. He worked so hard. This was his afternoon resting place to try and stay recharged. In 2018, next picture, or 2019, we went to Israel. And again, Gunner's lying down because he's worked very hard to get to that point. I'm also thankful I'm no longer one of Gunner's students. Next picture. <laughs> so here Gunner is hosing down all of his students. You as a congregation should be thankful that there's no hose bib and hose in the congregation so that Gunner's not doing this. So I promised some pictures three weeks ago, so these are the pictures of Gunner that I promised I would share. So, but in all honesty, I am thankful for Gunnar and his friendship for this church, for each and every one of you. Other than the songs that we sang this morning, by a show of hands, I'm not a very good preacher. I'm an aircraft mechanic. So I'm going to ask the congregation to participate with me. I'm not just going to ask you to sit there and listen. I want you to participate. So other than in the songs that we sang, how many, by a show of hands, how many said thanks or thank you or something similar to that this morning? Show of hands. Great. I love it when everyone raises their hand, or most everyone. So probably most of us say thanks or thank you almost every day. It's a very common word in our vocabulary. If you get an email from me, I sign most of my emails with thanks at the bottom of them. And maybe this word has become so common we don't even think about what thanks actually means. What about when we read Bible passages that say thanks? Do we gloss over it the same way? We just say thank you so easily, so casually? Or do we really understand what the Bible is trying to teach us when it says thanks? A couple weeks ago, I was helping my first grader in school, and I was reading his Health, Safety, and Manners book to him. And it was telling him the situations that he should say thanks and please and all of these courteous words that we use in our U.S. society, our U.S. culture. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's wrong or there's anything uh, bad about teaching our kids to be thankful or teaching our kids to be courteous. But is this courtesy that we exhibit in our culture, 
Is that the same as what we read about thinks in the Bible? So we have to talk about the origins of the word and what it means, the etymology. So the most common way to express our gratitude is we say thank you, we say thanks. Sometimes it's shortened to as short as ta. Um, If you're from Britain, you might hear cheers. It's used the same way. Our English word is derived from the Latin word tongere, and the root there in Latin means to think. So if we translate this roughly, we could say, for what you have done for me, I think on you favorably. But notice that there's um, the implicit understanding that you've done something to me, so now I'm reciprocating by thinking on you favorably or saying thanks. So it's a reciprocal relationship. Um, English isn't the only one that has this understanding. Almost all of our Latin-based languages have this understanding. In Spanish, gracias is derived from the Latin phrase gratias agri, which means to express thanks. Grazi in Italian comes from the same two Latin words. In French, merci is a little bit different. It's derived from the Latin word merces, which means wages, fee, or price. Similarly to merci, in Portuguese, obrigado comes from the Latin root obligo, which means I bind an obligation. So here we have the understanding that there's an obligation to say this. Because of something that was received or something that was done, there's an obligation. In Japanese, arigato is derived from two words that can be broken down to mean exist and difficult. So you get the understanding, you help me to exist in or through something that was difficult. So again, this idea of reciprocation in this relationship. So that's what our culture, our human culture, defines or uses when we say thank you. But is that the biblical basis? Is that the the biblical meaning when we read thanks or thank you or something similar in the Bible? In the Old Testament, the word for thanks is most often translated from the Hebrew word yada. The first time it's used in the Bible is in Genesis 29. And Leah says, in verse 29, verse 35, it says, She became pregnant again, this is talking about Leah, and had another son. She said, This time I will praise the Lord. And that word translated praise is the Hebrew word yada. And this is why she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. So most English translations use the word praise. Some English translations use thank you or thanks. So I will praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord. So is there a difference between praise and thanks in this Hebrew understanding, this Hebrew interpretation of thanks? Yada is used in the Old Testament 114 times. 74 times it's translated as thanks in the New American Standard Bible. 21 times is praise. 17 times it's translated as confess. And then two times it's translated as shoot, as in shoot an arrow or throw, like throw a stone. 
And the Strong's Concordance, it gives a, an, a meaning, uh, an additional meaning to this word that we can see it in extended hands or uplifted hands. So something like this. And we can see it when we sing songs, we're giving thanks to God, right? We're praising God. We're, that makes sense to us. Or I'm throwing a stone. That makes sense. Again, our hands are extended, uplifted. So that's the etymology. That's the meaning of the word. But how is it used? How does the Old Testament use this word? It's translated thanks or praise 95 times out of those 114 times. And what's interesting is in only one of those 95 times is man the object of that thanks. Every other single time, God is the object of that thanks. I think a good verse that illustrates this is 1 Chronicles 16.34. We read, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. So notice what this verse says. Give thanks to the Lord, and then for. It's giving a reason. Why do we give thanks? For he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. If you look at Psalms 136, we're not going to look at it this morning. It goes through over and over and over. The end of every single verse says, for the, um, his loving kindness endures forever or is everlasting. And the first two verses in Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord, praise the Lord, for his everlasting kindness endures forever. So what we understand from this is we give thanks because of who God is, not because of what or who we are, not because of what or who or what we have. So let me say that again. We give thanks because of God, because of who God is, not because of who we are or what we have. So if we concentrate on who we are or what we have, then we've missed what the Old Testament is saying when it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. All right, so that's the Old Testament. We have to look at the New Testament as well. And we have a language shift. In the Old Testament, we have Hebrew. In the New Testament, most of it, the original is written in Greek. In Greek, the word most often translated as thanks, there's a couple others, but we're only going to look at one this morning, is eucristio. It's a compound word. The first uh, word there is good, and the second is grace. So grace is something good that God has given us that we don't deserve. So roughly translated, this Greek word, we could understand it as thankfulness for God's good grace. Just like in the Old Testament, this word eucristio is used only once with man as the object. Only once. There's a couple other words that are similar that are used to give man thanks in the New Testament. But this particular one, it's only used once. All the other times, God or Christ is always the object of the thanks. A good example of this is found in 1 Corinthians 1.4. Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. 
So the meaning of the word is good grace. And now Paul is thanking God for the Corinthians, for the grace that God has given the Corinthians in Christ Jesus. So we can split this grace into two parts if we get analytical about it. We can understand God's grace in a physical sense. What do I mean by that? In Matthew 6.11, we have the Lord's Prayer where give us this day our daily bread. There's thanks there in the giving of that daily bread. Multiple times, Jesus and the apostles give thanks to God for the food um, that they're going to eat in John 6.11, Acts 27. And then there's thanks for physical healing. Um, The leper, there was 10 lepers and Jesus healed all 10 of them, and one returned and thanked Jesus for healing him in Luke 17. So that's the physical aspect of this grace. But there's also a spiritual aspect. We already saw it in 1 Corinthians, but in Acts 28, Paul thanks God for encouragement. There was others that were encouraging him, and he was thanking God that they were there encouraging him. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is thanking God for sending Christ. He's the biggest gift that we have. That's the biggest display of grace that we have in the New Testament is Jesus Christ. But then there's at least three other verses in the New Testament that don't fit into these neat little categories when we're talking about thanks. Ephesians 5.20 says, Always giving thanks for all things. Notice that, again, all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father. In Colossians 3.17, whatever we do, so what is excluded from whatever? Nothing is excluded from whatever. It's inclusive of everything. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks. So we're giving thanks in whatever we do. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.18, that, verse that we're looking at this morning, in everything give thanks. So all of these verses significantly expand the the realm of what we're to give thanks for. And so notice it's not giving thanks to man. It's not a reciprocal relationship. It's giving thanks to God, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Give thanks to God. In our human culture, we have the idea of giving thanks to others for favor or obligation, that reciprocal relationship. In the Old Testament, we are told to give thanks because of who God is. In the New Testament, we're told to give thanks because of the grace that he's shown us. So our cultural understanding, the way that we use the word thanks, every day probably, is not the same as the way that the Bible uses thanks. First Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what is included in everything? What should we give thanks for? I could ask it another way. What is excluded from everything? Is anything excluded? I need some participation. Is anything excluded from everything? Good, everyone's still awake. All right, maybe I wasn't completely honest. I do want to look at a couple more verses, different verses. In your Bibles, turn to Job chapter 1. 
Our very first song that we sang this morning mirrors this passage, what we learn about in Job. For the sake of time, we're not going to start at verse 1, so I'm just going to summarize. Job loves God and follows God. He's described as righteous. God is bragging about Job to Satan. Satan says, God, the only reason Job is righteous is because you've blessed him. You've given him so much. God says, no, that's not true. Even if you take everything away from Job, he's still going to bless me. He's still going to be upright and righteous. So start reading at verse 12 with me, with that as the background. So the Lord said to Satan, all right then, everything he has is in your power. Only don't extend your hand against the man himself. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now the day came when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job saying, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing beside them. And the Sabians swooped down and carried them all away. And they killed the servants with the sword. And I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants. It consumed them, and I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, The Chaldeans from three bands, or formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and carried them all away. And they killed the servants with the sword, and I, only I, alone escaped to tell you. While this third one was speaking, the fourth one arrived, the fourth messenger arrived and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind swept across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. What is Job's response? What does Job do? Verse 20, Then Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he threw himself down with his face to the ground. In case you missed it, the King James translates this face to the ground as worship. So this is a posture of worship. And then notice what Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, Naked I will return there. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. In all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with moral impropriety. What was Job's response? What did he do? He blessed God. So blessed in the Hebrew is a different word. Then yada, it's not thanked, but it's related. It's very similar. So if we think of yada as lifting our hands in praise or in thanks, think of Baruch, this word blessed, as kneeling, head bowed, arm raised. Can I get the slide? Like that. So very similar. But I would say this is even more intense. This is a step beyond even blessed or praised, or thanks or praise. Blessed is a step beyond thanks or praise. So Job, he goes above and beyond 
That's his response when his wealth is completely destroyed and stolen, taken away. When his children all die in the same day. So in our human understanding of how we use the word thanks, how could Job say, thank you God for this favor that you've shown me? I'm now childless and I'm penniless. But please, God, stop bragging to me about Satan. Do you know how hard it is to live life now? That was, that's what it would be like if we used thanks in our human culture, and our human understanding. But instead, if we look at it with the biblical understanding, we come up with, thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for your love and your faithfulness. Has God's love changed? Has God's faithfulness changed? In this circumstance, did the nature of God change? Even in the midst of this calamity, who God was, the nature of God, hasn't changed. So that's why we can give thanks to God in all things. I shared with you three weeks ago that I'm an aircraft mechanic. I'm an avionics technician. And a couple, number of years ago, I was working on an airplane. Um, this airplane was new in 1981, and it had been in service for 30-plus years, and it was time to replace the wires. There's a, a vast reasons, number of reasons that we can replace, why we would want to replace the wires in this airplane. Um, but compared to a modern car, there's not really that many wires in an airplane that was manufactured in 1981. There's five or six going to each wing, left wing, right wing. There's five or six that go to the tail. There's a small bundle of wires that... Uh, take care of things inside the cabin of the airplane. There's another small bundle that goes up, takes care of the electrical stuff from the engine. And then there's a, maybe a slightly larger bundle behind the instrument panel. Um, so not really that many wires in comparison to even one of our cars from the early 2000s. But all of the wires meet behind the instrument panel, and there's quite a few at this point. Let me bring up the slide. It's kind of hard to see in the slide, but in replacing these wires, I don't have exact links, and they need to be routed. And so you start where the wire is, like in the end of the wing, and then you bring it all the way forward to the instrument panel, and then it's you make sure it's extra long, and then I route it where it needs to go, then I cut it precisely to the length that it needs to be. And eventually, next slide, we get them all bundled up, and there's no longer sticking out like spaghetti, but they're all in neat little bundles. Again, it's kind of hard to see in the picture, but right in the middle, there's a big wire bundle coming down the center. Um, so I'd been working on this project for about 10 months off and on. When there wasn't something else going on, I was in this airplane rerouting wires and replacing um, different circuits. But in the midst of doing this towards the end, not only do all the wires have to be in the right place, you have to test to make sure that all the wires are in the right place because it doesn't matter how neat they are or how new they are. If they're not connected to the right place, then it does you no good. So I connected a ground power source to the airplane so I could test one of the circuits in the left wing. And I walked around, I connected it, and I walked around the support to get into the cabin so I could turn that circuit on 
and the cabin's filling with smoke. And I immediately went and I unplugged the power supply, but the damage was already done. And again, it's kind of hard to see, but you can see the bare wire there and the, the plastic melted up off the wire. And came to found out that I'd made a mistake in installing one of my wires and there wasn't enough clearance. And one of the large wires that supplies power to a large number of circuits um, was shorted to ground. And so when I connected that power supply, this large wire started glowing red hot and red, yellow, bright red, bright yellow, about 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. And needless to say, the insulation on these wires cannot stand that amount of heat. Um, next slide. You can see there the melted insulation. The insulation is coming off the wire. But not only did it melt the insulation on this one wire, next slide, this wire is in the midst of this large bundle. I've cut this bundle apart, and you can see the insulation is melted there. So not only did it melt this one wire, but it's melted all the wires that it's touching in this bundle. So now I've just spent 10 months replacing all the wires and bringing all the wires into this point, and now I have a whole bunch of wires with melted insulation. So how many of you here believe that my very first response when this happened was, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Everyone's laughing. No one believes that I was on my knees worshiping God. How many here, by a show of hands, have thanked God when something good has come into their life? Show of hands. Great. How many here, by a show of hands, have thanked God when something bad, something hard, a trial, a tribulation, has come into their life, and that's your first response? Show of hands, first response when something bad's happened. Very few number. Why? Why the difference? Has the nature of God changed? Has God changed? Is who God is changed? Whether we receive something good or whether we receive something that doesn't seem to be good at the time, has God changed? The last two years, last 18 months, last five years, whatever it is, COVID, sickness, cancer, the loss of a loved one, hard things in our lives. Do we thank God for those hard things? Has the nature of God changed when those hard things come into our lives? So I want to reemphasize my point that we give God we give thanks because of who God is not because of who we are or what we have that is the biblical understanding of thanks So when we come to the the turkey dinner this Thursday and we're considering all of the blessings 
all of the good things that we have in our life, that's not the basis for our thanks. The basis for our thanks is who God is and the grace that he's shown us. I have 11 minutes. And I'm only the first part of the verse. So I've got to go quick to get through the second part of the verse. Second half of the verse says, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What does Paul mean by that? There's lots of imperatives in the New Testament. An imperative is a command. If I tell my son, go shut the door, I've told him to do something with command, with authority. And if, uh, we, anyways, we have lots of imperatives in the New Testament. Um, I just have a short list here. Speak truth. Don't sin in anger. Don't give the devil a place. Don't steal. Work hard. Don't speak unwholesome words. Speak good. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Remove bitterness, rage, anger, clamor, slander, malice from your lives. Be tenderhearted and forgiving. This is a short list of ten things from eight verses in one chapter in Ephesians. That's just one list. One short list from one short passage. If we go on to Ephesians 5.1, the very next um, verse, 5.1 says, Be imitators of God. That's an imperative. That's a command. Be like Christ. I mean, we go on. But I don't want anyone here to walk away with the understanding that Christianity is just a long list of rules, do this, don't do this. That's not the reason these imperatives are given. These imperatives are given because Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So for this relationship to be healthy, the New Testament is telling us how we should live our lives. So consider it, think about it like this for a minute. We all have relationships here on this earth whether it's with a father, a mother, whether it's with a sibling, a brother, a sister, whether it's with an aunt, whether it's with one of our own kids, we have relationships. And we understand that there's rules that we follow for these relationships to be healthy, for these relationships to grow. If we don't follow these rules, then that relationship is marred. That relationship isn't healthy. So these are the the rules for our relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't mean that when we're not perfect, when we break any of these rules, that we stop being in relationship with God. It just means that that relationship doesn't grow the way it should or the way it could. All right, so what's all this have to do with thanks? I said these are imperatives, so these are commands. They're found in God's word, so we could say that this is God's command of how we should live. To put it another way, this is God's will. This is what God wants in our lives. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks is another one of these imperatives. It's a command. It's not something that's optional. It's something that God is commanding us, telling us to do. So why does Paul add, this is the will of God, this is what God wants in your lives in Christ Jesus? It's already a command, it's already an imperative, give thanks, but this is the will of God in your life. Why is it there? There's not too many other places in the New Testament, just a small handful, where it tells us directly that this is the will of God in our lives. 
It tells us what God's will is in our life. So we can take these imperatives. We can say, this is what God's telling us, so this is what God wants. But then why add this extra little sentence? This is the will of God is there to add emphasis. He's setting it apart from all the other imperatives which don't have this. He's, Paul is telling us how important it is to give thanks. Why? We'll get to the why in a little bit. Let's look at the application. I have a couple suggestions for application on how we can give thanks. First of all, we have to recognize that God is number one in our life. God has to be the priority. If we're focused on ourselves or our circumstances, then we're never going to give thanks in a biblical understanding, a biblical way. has to be God. That's why it's who God is, his nature. That's why we give thanks. So for that to happen, has to, God has to be number one. And that's the, the whole basis for the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Secondly, how do we get there to give thanks is by spending time in the Bible. The Bible is God's word. It's God speaking to us. It's how he tells us how he wants us to act, how he wants us to behave, how he wants us to live. So we spend time in his word. Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart. It's speaking about memorizing his word. That means more than just reading it over briefly. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves an approved workman so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable will of God, that's spending time in God's word, studying it, talking with others about it. So first is putting God in the right place in our lives, priority. The second is spending time in his word. That's God talking to us. The third is spending time in prayer. That's us talking to God. The very next verse before in First Thessalonians is 5.17, pray without ceasing. Um, I'm not going to spend any more time on that. Fourthly, I would suggest that the way we get to biblical thanks is by going to church. We don't go to church just for a social or just for a good time or to eat donuts afterwards. We go to church for encouragement. We go to church to corporately hear from God's word. We go to church to be held accountable by others. If we're not being held accountable, then we live our lives however we want during the week. That's why we come to church. That's why we have this gathering together. We find that in Hebrews 10. But all of this, it's not picking ourselves up by the bootstraps. We can't do this on our own. So in Philippians 1.6, we're promised that he who began a good work in our lives will be faithful to complete that work. So it, just like my example with the airplane, my first response wasn't, thank you, Lord. That's what it should have been. That's what my first response should have been, but it wasn't. But I'm thankful that God is still working in my life. He's still working in your life to conform you, to make you an imitator of Christ. When we don't give thanks, what's the result? 
What does that look like when we don't give biblical thanks? Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And again, for the sake of time, we're not going to look at this whole passage. But Romans 1, starting at verse 18 through 32, it describes the decline of man in relationship to God, describes the fall of man into sinful depravity. Starting at verse 21 of Romans chapter 1, it says, For although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give Him thanks. So they knew God, but they didn't glorify Him as God or give Him thanks. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Then if you continue, you see the depravity of man's heart, the sinfulness of man's heart as they move farther and farther away from God. But notice, where is thanklessness, where is not being thankful in that fall of depravity? It's at the very beginning. Not being thankful leads, it's the very first step into that fall. I'd encourage you to finish reading that passage, Romans 1, 18 through 32, and see where unthankfulness leads. You start down that path, What's the end result? Where does that bring you? We're not thankful because of what we have or what God's given us. We're thankful because of who He is and His grace. I want to close with a short poem. The author is anonymous. I don't know. They don't know who it is. Today upon a bus I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so gay, and how I wished I was so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and wore a crutch. But as she passed, a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate good cheer. His manner was so kind and warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you. Such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw he was blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Then, when walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment. Then I said, why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word. And then I knew he could not hear. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears. The world is mine. With feet to take me where I go, with eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears to hear what I would know, I am blessed indeed. 
The world is mine. O God, forgive me when I whine. So when we come to the Thanksgiving table this Thursday, I want you to remember thankfulness in the biblical perspective. There's nothing wrong with showing gratitude, showing courtesy to those around us. But we need to remember that that's not the basis, that's not the reason why we give thanks. The reason we give thanks is because of who God is. And that doesn't change whether we have a full Thanksgiving table or an empty Thanksgiving table. It doesn't change whether the football game that we're watching is a good game and the team we're cheering for wins or the team that that we're cheering for loses. It doesn't change whether the friends that we're in family that we're sharing this meal with are dear or the relationships are strained. God is God, and that is why we are thankful. That is why we praise him. So that's why we keep him first in our lives. We can't praise him if he's not first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your loving kindness. I thank you for the gift of grace, for the gift of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that you could give to this world. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be thankful because of who you are, because of the extravagant grace that you've shown us and given us. I pray that we wouldn't be distracted by the trinkets of this world, the many blessings that you've brought into our lives. I pray that that wouldn't be a distraction to who you are, that we would keep you first in our lives, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.